Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. You know, there was a real connection between urban and rural America, but with the consolidation of media over the last 20 years into the hands of just urban-based media giants, they've really turned their back on rural America and, and quite frankly, driven a, a, uh, a wedge. Appalachia Meets World, podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachia. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia meets world. We are back. It's Will. And Neil. What up, yeah. man? I'm juiced today. Hoorah. <laughs> my man is excited. Yeah. How goes it? It's good. I'm trying to think what's up. I'd say a lot. You got as many events going on as I do. It's that time of year, man. Everything's starting up. Problem is, I woke up to a couple inches of snow this morning. That's crazy. Don't forget to feed the dog. (laughs) I get that on the daily checklist, too. Man, it's May. It's almost May, bro. You're seeing snow up there? I'm telling you, you got to cross your fingers up until Easter. Anytime after Easter, you're good. Is that a fact? Last time I checked, Easter was last week. (laughs) Uh, Jesus rose last week. (laughs) You don't miss the resurrection. (laughs) I won't tell mom. You just celebrated Easter? Uh Oh, yeah. Good time. You know, Titus doesn't really understand the whole grab eggs deal. He just kind of looks for the candy and uh, stops at the first egg he finds and gets what's in it, and and he's done. (laughs) (laughs) All he needs is one. Yeah. Didn't really search for many eggs, but it was fun. Had a good time. How about you? Did you, did you guys hunt Easter eggs? Did you go to church? What'd we did, man. The problem was that it rained here. We are supposed to do hunt on Saturday. It rained all day long. Pretty much got canceled. So church down the street had a local uh, hunt on uh, Friday night. And we went down there and they had like a thousand eggs out for kids ages walking to age eight. Okay, but they had them in a group and then they had like eight to 12 year olds in a group. Titus goes running after eggs. He's like the slowest one out there. You know, he's only 18 months. So he's just barreling along, has no idea what all these other kids are doing. So all the rest of them kind of go on. And Titus has like two eggs near him. So he picks them up, puts them in his basket or whatever after some prodding. So we grabbed like three or four other eggs and just kind of threw them around him. All the other kids were on the other end of the yard and they kind of got done and they were running back to the beginning stages of where things kind of kicked off. And Titus was standing there looking at the two or three and we were pointing at him, telling him to get them and put them in his basket. And some kid came running out of nowhere, barreling, looking at those eggs and just ran right through us and scooped all three of those eggs up, (laughs) put them in his basket and kept on going. So much for Titus. He robbed Titus. Man, I hate those Easter egg hunts where, you know, you have hundreds of kids and it's just a big field. 
and they throw a bunch of eggs out. No hiding whatsoever. Just a bunch of eggs in a field. There's no hunt in that. Egg adventure. It's egg not chaos. even an adventure. It's, it's an egg walk. Hard. It's not even hard. It, no, it's mean, like an egg walk. You go yeah. walking, pick up some eggs. And everybody does that now that you say it. Now that I think about it. A bunch of different colored eggs in the grass. Not hidden at all. The best part of, of an egg hunt is actually hunting and, and finding that specific special egg hidden that no one else can find it. You know, that's the, that's right. It's not the number that you can find. It's finding that special golden egg that's finding hidden. the golden egg. Harder than the rest of them. We got lots of great memories of searching for the golden egg. Uh, moving on, we presented at the IEDC webinar yesterday. It went yeah, well. How'd that go? We got to gas up Appalachia, like having the opportunity to gas up Appalachia anytime we can is great for Appalachia. Pretty cool. It went went well, man. We had several attendees hearing about the region, hearing about what we're doing, hearing about what Holler Creative's doing to gas up the region. Kevin Flora? He presented from Holler Creative talking about their video production and how they promote tourism throughout Eastern Kentucky with Explore Appalachia. I know we mentioned that last week. I just want to give a shout out to our good friend, Yancey Burns, who was on the show as a documentary filmmaker. We talked about it at the time, his documentary film, Imagining the Indian. He is kind of on the, I guess you would call it, the film festival circuit right now. But his film has been picked up by several film festivals. I know he was out in California. It's been picked up in D.C., several other areas. And just recently, he was at the Boston International Film Festival. And his documentary that he has with a couple other people, I know he mentioned Kevin Blackstone, is also a producer on the, the film, but... It won at the Boston International Film Festival the best documentary of 2022. So big shout out to Yancey. Yes, sir. Farmer and a filmmaker. Love old Yancey Burns. I'm sure it had some sway because he was on Appalachian Meets World. Oh, 100,000%. He can thank <laughs> us later, though. No big deal. He, he's a talented guy, and it obviously is starting to show. And just want to commend him for that and give him a big shout out. Yeah, Yancey doing great work. I know he may be on his way home right about now, getting ready to stop down at Triple J's. He's going to celebrate at Triple J's. JJJ's. I can't wait for him to stop in. JJJ's. (laughs) Say hello to him for us, Yancey. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about rodeo stars. Do you know any rodeo stars? You know, rodeo, no. That's something that we just didn't have the opportunity for when we were young. How old were you when you – figured out what rodeo was to be honest our papa had horses i'll tell you a quick story we used to go to the fairgrounds they didn't have necessarily have rodeo there but they had horse shows and things like that and one of the things that he threw me out kind of like a trial by error he threw me out for the grease pig contest (laughs) did you ever do that no i never got to do that (laughs) because me and about 18 other kids chasing this grease pig around this pen until somebody caught it. I just remember that. But rodeo, I was young, man, when when I knew about rodeo, but I I, I don't think I ever attended one. The grease pig, that's not rodeo, Will. (laughs) You you do know that, right? Like like I said, I don't think I ever attended one. How old were you? I mean, when you knew what rodeo was. Probably 10 or 12. See, for me, I swear I was probably 
16, 18, before I really knew what rodeo was. It's just something we didn't have access to. I know. Even where we grew up in rural America, in the middle of the Appalachian Hills, we didn't know what rodeo was. It wasn't something that we had in our schools, obviously. It wasn't something that we really saw in our town. And it definitely wasn't something we saw in the media, the news. You know, I do know a kid now that's 13 years old that is heavily involved in rodeo and has been since he was 10 years old. Wow. Yeah, from London, Kentucky. Well, how did he get that opportunity? How did he grow up? Give a shout out to Jordan Steele. He's in into rodeo big time. And and how did he get into it? You know, I don't really know the initial story of of how he first figured out what rodeo was. But I know he told his dad he wanted to do rodeo. So his dad, fortunately for him, kind of started doing the research and figured out, okay, how how can we get involved in this particular sport? And of course, with the internet and things like that, you can figure things out now. But it wasn't like he went down to the local league and signed up to ride a bull. Right. <laughs> with with internet access, you, you can find it and figure it out. But there are people out there that are starting to put more things out about rodeo. You know, a good possibility where he might have seen it? Something that we didn't have access to when we were younger is RFD TV. Exactly my point, Will. And I, I, I thought what a better time to bring it up and discuss it. The things that RFD TV shows allow kids like a Jordan Steele or any kid in rural America to understand what's out there and, and what they can, can be a part of. So tonight, we felt like it might be interesting and might be a great look into media in rural America by having the founder of RFD TV on our show. Mr. Patrick Gotch. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to tonight, Will, to learn a little bit more about what went into the beginnings of RFD TV. It's even more than providing access to rural areas. It's connecting the rural to the urban. And I know that's something that they focus on in RFD TV and the rural media group. And it's something that we'd like to talk to him about tonight. There's a lot out there about this divide that we have in our country right now, this rural urban divide. And it's important to think about that and learn about it and understand it and try to provide ways to bridge that divide. Absolutely. Will, I also want to take a moment to just thank our sponsor, SOAR. We haven't talked about in a while. Appreciate SOAR being a partner of ours and uh, helping us do the things that we do on this podcast. I'd also like to give a shout out to my good friend, Dave Gotze. Are you in the uh, market for a uh, home refinance? No, you might no. not be. If you are, in the market to buy a new home or refinance your current home, call Dave Godsey at Fairway Independent Mortgage Corp. He may be able to help you. Dave offers a variety of different loan programs. Call him today at 606-344-8734 and find out what mortgage options may be available to you. Will, on today's show, do you have an app biz for us to highlight? I do. I want to highlight something. To be honest, it's not really a business this week, but it's more of an organization. But I wanted to mention it because they just recently gave out their first grant. And so it's the Appalachian Solar Finance Fund. They actually got a power grant really to jumpstart public, nonprofit, or commercial solar projects in six coal impacted communities. So those six states are Ohio, West Virginia, Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and North Carolina. So there's some eligible counties within those states. 
that are eligible for these solar finance funds. And there are a lot of partners around this initiative, those partners being Appalachian Voices, the Central Appalachian Network, Partner Community Capital, Invest Appalachia, and New Resource Solutions. They want to accelerate the solar development and economic growth in Central Appalachia. So if you want to check them out, their website is solarfinancefund.com. Org. If you have a project that needs a little funding, they can provide as part of the capital stack a grant that can go towards your project. And some of those funds I mentioned came from the Appalachian Regional Commission's Power Initiative, but also I want to give a shout out to the Appalachian Investment Ecosystem Initiative, the Claude Worthington Benedum Foundation, the New York Community Trust, the Education Foundation of America, and the Virginia Coalfield Economic Development Authority. They all provided resources and sources of funding to this solar finance fund. And so the Appalachian Solar Finance Fund, I just wanted to mention them as a new organization because on April the 7th, they gave out $44,690 grant, the first grant in the program to a nonprofit to help them with solar financing. So I thought that was pretty cool and wanted to mention them. I know it's not a business, but we mentioned businesses, we mentioned organizations, and we mentioned initiatives like this. Thanks, Will. And so now, without further ado, let's get back to the rodeo. Let's get back to some RFD TV. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. On the episode tonight, we have a special guest, Mr. Patrick Gotch. He was raised on a small farm in Elkhorn, Nebraska, and he's a 40-year veteran in the media and media tech industry and is the founder and CEO of the Rural Free Delivery Television, or better known as RFD TV, and the larger Rural Media Group Incorporated, which also consists of RFD TV, the magazine, RFD HD, Rural Radio on Sirius XM, and most recently, the Cowboy Channel. So Patrick, we are great appreciative of your time and extremely excited to have you on the show today. Thanks, fellas. We wanted to start off with a question we ask all our guests. Like most Appalachians, Neil and I family, our families are big on tradition. And as part of that tradition, over the holidays, we have appetizers. We usually have more appetizers than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or holiday dish? I like all appetizers. You know, it depends which which, uh, which holiday it is. You know, Thanksgiving's a little bit different from Christmas, which is a little bit different from grilling on the 4th of July. So I like it all. <laughs> Good answer. If it's an appetizer, we'll eat it. Yeah. We recently mentioned RFD TV is named the Rural Free Delivery Television, and it was actually named after the Rural Free Delivery Act of the 1900s, which brought mail to rural America. Now, as the name suggests, you're kind of doing that for television. Yeah, that's how we came up with the name. You know, city and country weren't connected. Uh, Back in 1893, they passed the Rural Free Delivery Act. Most uh, congressmen and senators fought it. They thought it would break this country. But of course, it did just the opposite. It really brought together urban and rural folks. And for the first time, people in the city could communicate with the folks in the country and vice versa. So um, yeah, that's what RFD TV was. It was, you know, intended 
intended to be the first television network that brought together urban and, and rural America. We're still working on it, but that was the goal. Yeah. We wanted to just ask you, can you, for our listeners, tell a little bit about your background and kind of how you got started in media? Yeah, I grew up on a small farm in Nebraska, just like a lot of kids of that generation. Uh, went away to college, came back, uh, wanted to farm with my dad. Uh, happened to uh, hit the three worst drought years in Nebraska history, I guess, next to the Dust Bowl. Then interest went to 22%. Corn went down to $2 a bushel. And my dad came to me and, and said, uh, you got to go to town, get a job. There's, there's, <laughs> Perfect time to farm. Yeah, there's no future in agriculture. So reluctantly, I went and did that. And what I wound up doing was was uh, putting in uh, home satellite dishes back in the 80s. Uh, those big, ugly 10, 12 foot dishes that cost three, four five grand. But people loved them. I'd follow up a couple weeks later after putting one in. And they all were saying the same thing that mama liked watching the movies on HBO and the kids like Disney and, you know, dad liked watching uh, the Cubs or the Cardinal Bay baseball games on there, but they all said, but why isn't there any rural agricultural news, uh, rodeo? How come there's no rodeo on all these sports channels? And just heard that over and over and over again. And, you know, it was just one of those deals where sat down one night after hearing it for a couple of years and on the back of an envelope wrote down RFD TV, rural free delivery, rural America's most important network, reconnect city with country again. The rest is history only in America. <laughs> Absolutely. We started this podcast really to dispel some of the misconceptions about, that people have of Appalachia. We also kind of started it to, I say more importantly, to connect people outside the region to Appalachia, to help them understand a, a little bit about Appalachia from an Appalachia perspective. So we celebrate Appalachia. We try to what we refer to as gas up Appalachia. It's kind of similar to your two-part mission, which you kind of alluded to. I know it's one, serve the needs and interests of rural America, but two, and I would argue maybe Maybe even more importantly that, and you've mentioned a couple of times, reconnect city to country. Yeah, guys. I mean, we got a lot. In, we got a lot in common. Uh, you know, as you know, there's been a wall built between urban and rural America. Urban and rural America used to get along. The television shows, even in the '60s, a lot of them were focused around you know Gunsmoke and and Bonanza, and you know there was a real connection between urban and, and rural America. But with the consolidation of media over the last 20 years into the hands of just urban-based media giants. They've really turned their back on rural America and, and quite frankly, driven a, a, a wedge in between rural and urban America. So, you know, I'm glad to see what you guys are doing. We're working hard at it. You know, so are a lot of other people, the National Cattlemen's, the Corn Growers, the Wheat Growers, the American Farm Bureau, FFA. There's no upside to creating all this division between urban and, and rural folks. So hats we, we, off to you guys for what you're doing. Same to you. We, we have recently had a guest on from App Harvest. He's a Brooklynite, very proud to be be from Brooklyn. However, with his job, it took him to the hills and hollers of Eastern Kentucky. And in his time in Eastern Kentucky, he has come to realize that there are many more similarities in how he grew up in Brooklyn to Eastern Kentucky. And he would have never known that had he not moved to the region. And I was just wondering, do you see that those same similarities when you're reaching out to the urban environment with some of your programming? Yeah, I've read every email that's ever come into our company since we launched in December of 2000. And, and it's it's well over a million emails. And the, the ones that I get the most kick out of come from Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> or, or come from somebody that, you know, we're trying to do the same thing, put a face on the farmers and ranchers and let people know where their food and fiber comes from. And I get a real kick when somebody will write a letter and say, you know, hey, I'm from Brooklyn. You probably don't believe it, but we watch you guys.
energized all the time. And, and the next time we go to that grocery store, we'll appreciate buying that gallon of milk a little more than we used to. It, it's a real problem. It's a real problem. And I don't know what it's going to take to turn it around. I think COVID woke a lot of people up that lived in the cities that, you know, now they went out and, and a lot of them reconnected with the country. They used to just take their vacations in the summer. They'd go to the country. People in the city go to the country. People in the country go to the city for their vacations. I think COVID woke a lot of people up. People are trying to go back to their roots. In most cases, a, a generation ago, <clears throat> you know, mom and dad had a farm or grandpa and grandma had a farm. You know, everybody was connected. In, in some way, but it, it's really went away. It's not good for this country. It's not good for folks in the city, and it's not good for folks in the country to, to have this wall being built between urban and rural America. You know, one thing that unites both, especially rural America, is, you know, we need to do a better job of communicating with the urban neighbors. Even in Appalachia, people think that we're this whitewashed, monolithic, rural place. When in reality, you know, we have Asheville, we have Chattanooga, we have Knoxville, Birmingham, Pittsburgh. We have all these urban areas that are mixed in this Appalachian diversity. You know, we just want other urban areas to see what Appalachia has and to help them understand that we're not all this one size fits all type of region. Right. But I, you know, I blame, I blame media. I blame the consolidation of media into urban hands here, like in Omaha, Nebraska, you know, our local NBC affiliate used to do an early morning ag report. They always did a noon market report on Fridays. They, they did a farm family of the week. All that went away when it was bought by uh, one of those urban media conglomerates. Same way with our radio stations all across the country. You know, Clear Channel came in and bought all these country radio stations, and now they're all programmed out of, you know, New York or Los Angeles or, or whatever. It just, it, it's come down to, if it's not a drought, a disaster, or something bad going on in rural America, there's no news coverage whatsoever. And again, that's what our network's trying to combat. So we carry the FFA convention. We carry the American Farm Bureau convention. Convention. We carry the National Cattlemen's Beef Convention. We've got a Washington uh, news bureau in Washington, D.C., you know, that doesn't focus on Republicans or Democrats. It focuses on rural education, rural health care, rural development. You know, our biggest problem is getting distribution on these urban-based cable systems in urban America. I'm glad you me mentioned that Washington correspondent. I, I know you are the network kind of prides itself on not being political, on being partisan, and really just delivering news and content. Right. But you also focus, like you said, on the issues. I know you had some, you were fighting for some legislation in regards to Agricultural News and Rural Contact Act, where it would demand 1% of channel capacity to focus on rural themes. But also, you have a Health Matters show once a week. Last November, you partnered with the American Farm Bureau and Connected Nation to try to bring more connectivity and broadband to rural America. These are some of the issues that I know you focus on. Is that important to you to focus on those issues? And are some yeah, more thank, I mean, thanks for bringing that up. That's more important than anything. Uh, we have been working hard in Washington, D.C. I've visited with, oh, shoot, you know, at least 50 senators and a lot more congressmen, Republicans and Democrats. They all get it. There's lots of rural congressmen and senators in this country. And everybody's working hard to get broadband in rural America, which which is great. But what we're trying to point out to them is if there's no rural content, if there's not agricultural news, if there's not relevant programming being developed that reflect the values and the traditions of rural America, then rural broadband is going to be worthless. It's going to be used by urban-based companies to jam down all this urban content. And we're starting to wake some people up to that. 
right now there's a resolution being circulated among the Senate. And I think we're going to get a, a resolution here introduced that is going to wake a lot of folks up. You know, again, I'm being repetitive, but it's no good. It's just no good to have, you know, this division here. And, and I'll say it again, the fault is with urban media. I mean, even AT&T took over DirecTV in 2016. DirecTV was a system dedicated to rural America, started in rural America, over half their customers were in rural America. They brought DirecTV and had to testify before Congress, and they were specifically asked, are you still going to serve rural America? And of course, they said, yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's been the exact opposite. They turned their backs immediately on their rural, over 8 million rural subscribers. It's so many have, have quit or disconnected. In our case, we've got the Cowboy Channel, which is a very popular sports channel now. Rodeo's about, a lot of nights, we're the number three or four sports network out of 26 in the whole country. Yet DirecTV doesn't even carry it on their DirecTV streaming, doesn't even offer it. And then on their regular system, they got it up in the highest tier. They got it in uh, standard definition. They got 400, 500 channels. They can't have a couple channels, rural channels serving rural America. Makes no business sense, quite frankly. They're just so far out of touch with half their customers. I know from a content perspective, you have grown, obviously, since you first started quite a bit. Like you mentioned, you have rodeo, you have everything from music to lifestyle to ag issues to equine. You also have everything from that to Larry's Country Diner, which, by the way, is my parents' favorite show. Um, (laughs) But, you know, you've also introduced shows on rural entrepreneurship, the the Rural American, which I think is a really cool uh, show, as well as Farm her, uh, which focuses on females in farming. Is it important to you to kind of bring out this diversity in programming and, and new yeah, aid? 30% of the farms and ranches in this country are owned or operated by women. You know, we're, we're not that smart. All we're doing is copying what urban stations do, you know, but there's hundreds of rural stations doing all these different things. There's urban stations doing rural or, or news. There's stations doing market reports. There's stations doing music. There's stations doing sports. Unfortunately, we've had to take all those and compact them into just two channels. You know, I'm, I'm proud of what we've been able to do and, and, and build. We're a family-owned corporation because we couldn't find anybody in, to invest in us, which turned out to be a, a so, blessing. But, so. but we have 93 independent programmers on us. We don't produce a lot of the things you just mentioned, but there, there's lots of people all across the country that got a passion for horses or got a passion for producing an ag show from Georgia or Louisiana or from California. Everybody's come together to make these these uh, two networks and it's it's uh, they're good channels to watch once you get hooked on them. So getting back to your origin days of RFD TV, I, I was going to ask, did you ever imagine when you started that it, it, it would become what it has become? You know, I'm asked that question quite a bit lately. I've, I've never really reflected on it. Didn't think that way. It just, there, there was this burning need for, for such a station. And again, we just kind of looked around and, you know, nobody else was going to do it. Nobody else had done it. And not being smart enough to know you probably needed a bunch of money and some brains to launch a television network, we did it. And then we were always broke when we first started. So there was never really a chance to look back. We we're always worried about making next week's pay- payroll. Yeah. Or, or, like most you know. entrepreneurs. Right? Yeah. So, you know, we went through that. And then one day in 2007, woke up 
all our bills were paid and we still had money in the bank. And it was like, wow, how did that happen? So you started in 2000. Started in 2000. And in 2007, you really felt like maybe we've we turned, Yeah, we turned the corner. It, we did turn, turn the corner in 2007. We brought on Don Imus, uh, who was kicked off some other stations. He brought us a lot of publicity and sure. a lot of cable systems then started carrying us. So we turned that corner. And then uh, in 2017, all of our uh, rodeo and Western uh, sports program were, were kind of outgrowing RFD TV. So we figured out a way to start a second channel to just get devoted to, to rodeo and cutting and reining and Western sports and quarter horse racing and, and so on. It's really grown up. To answer your question, I've reflected quite a bit here through COVID and, and looking back and it was, it's been kind of a, well, how in the heck did that happen? <laughs> you know, how did we do that? Yeah. Uh, how did how did we wind up doing a rodeo in AT&T Stadium that gave away a million dollars a year? It's just, they always say, you don't know what you don't know. Right. The whole family, everybody, I got a great bunch of people working with us uh, that have worked so hard for 18, 19, 20 years. And, and we didn't really stop and look back uh, until recently. And, and now we're focused on taking both these networks to their full potential. I'm proud of what we're, what we've done in the last 20 years, but we're just scratching the surface of what we could be doing yeah that, that was going to be my next question I, I found it real interesting that you said that seven year mark i'm an entrepreneur myself i was in the food business for for several years and still own some real estate everybody in the food business says if you can make it to seven and a half years you'll finally feel like you're doing something so i i find that very interesting that you said that. But my, my next question, my follow-up question to that is, of the success you've seen and kind of reflecting and looking back on it, where where do you see this thing going in the next five to seven years? Well, I mean, part of it is, you know, we worked our butts off for 30 years and got to this point where it was successful and profitable and, and doing quite well. And then it's like every the deck was shuffled. You know, then uh, digital media came in. Everybody started, not everybody, but a lot of people been disconnected from cable and so now there's a there's, there's a new set of challenges. How are we going to transition from traditional cable and satellite to uh, digital? And fortunately, what really happened with me, I was a single dad too in the 90s and, and early 2000s. And I got two daughters. They had to go along with me to the conventions and anywhere I went. Year after year after year, they helped me put in satellite dishes. And what, the neat thing about you know what's happened is both my daughters went away from college to college. And I thought, well, I'm going to lose them. They'll get married and meet some stupid boy there. <laughs> No, but they both came back. They both came back and said, Dad, we, we really want to work and help you build RFD TV. So it's turned into a family business. Where does it go from here? It's going to be kind of up to them. They're both really smart. They know what they're doing. Oh, it's right. almost like we're starting all over again, you know, to figure out how we're going to be relevant in this new digital world and how we're going to be delivered. I think the thing that we got going for us, though, is we have lots of content, lots of exclusive content that isn't really available to anybody else. Else. These rodeos from the PRCA were the exclusive broadcaster through 2028. And a lot of these other great shows that we got on are are all locked in with us. So we got great content. It's I guess the challenge is going to be whatever means people wind up doing to get their news and information and entertainment. We're just going to have to figure out how to get on the, those systems. I know you mentioned the American. You started that back in, I think, 2014, the American Rodeo at AT&T Stadium. And you also were kind of set on 
bringing the rodeo to Madison Square Garden. Was there significance yeah, in that bringing the country to the? I mean, the country to the city is that kind of the importance that's, behind that? That's the only reason we're doing it. You know, to reconnect city with country again. New York's kind of getting out of out of whack with a bunch of animal rights issues coming up. The National Finals Rodeo used to be in Madison Square Garden in the 50s and 60s, and then we found out that there hadn't been a rodeo there in 40 years, and and so we made up our mind. Well, we're going to take a rodeo to Madison Square Garden. I was really looking forward to it. And of course, that was in uh, COVID year. It was supposed to take place on Father's Day weekend in 2020. Had to be canceled. And I don't think we'll be able to do it again now. But again, yeah, we're, we're always trying to find ways to reconnect city with country again and, and do some things that haven't been done before. Yeah, I, I saw uh, the first thing that you ever put on your station was the William Jennings Bryan quote, which I thought was really cool. The quote is, burn down your cities and leave our farms and your cities will spring up again as if by magic. But destroy our farms and the grass will grow in the streets of every city in the country. It's kind of describing exactly what you're saying, the importance of rural to urban. I thought it was- Hats off to you. You have really done your research. (laughs) Yeah, that was the first thing that we put on TV, followed by a polka music show. (laughs) i did not know that (laughs) i'm looking back now at the programming that we put on but it was interesting we got all this criticism i was running around for eight years trying to find a uh, financing and i was trying to give away 80 90 percent of the company and was getting kicked out of every investment banker in the country and they all said the same thing farmers and ranchers don't watch tv You'll never get on cable. There's not enough advertising support to support you. You know, all legitimate criticisms because we weren't on the air and nobody else was doing it. Uh, but again, it turned out to be a blessing. We found a way to get on. Charlie Ergen at Dish Network gave us our first break. He believed in rural America. They put us on to start with. But as soon as we launched, I mean, it was out there. Everything that I was seeing around Omaha, Nebraska was true all over the country. I think the first email and, and phone call we got was from Hawaii, which blew me away. They said, well, we're watching you out here. love it love it the other thing that i found is we've done a lot of international programming down in brazil canada australia and what i'm finding rural people are rural people no matter where you go they're very similar in that family is very important traditions very important god and country is very important you asked the the question, where are we going from here? You know, I I really want to kind of interface all these rural agricultural communities all over the world. You know, there's going to be 9 billion people here by the year 2050 to feed. It's going to have to be done with less and less and less land, less and less and less water. I really think that agriculture and rural people are going to make a real comeback. We mentioned app harvest earlier. I was getting ready to ask, do you know the app harvest story? Do you know those guys? No, sir. I think it would be great to, I, I don't know maybe we could even connect you with 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 them but yeah basically they're bringing farming back but in the indoor version oh yes sir yeah Uh, they've got these huge facilities throughout appalachia they're growing tomatoes indoors in a facility in moorhead kentucky and selling them all over the world Uh, it's a really really cool story we'll give you better history mission to make eastern kentucky the ag tech capital of the world or appalachia the ag tech capital of the world sure we were just kind of wondering what you thought about the new innovative ways of farming well we try to do stories 
stories on them, of course, everywhere we go. I think Alltech has a big yeah. deal coming up. It, it's international. We used to go to it before COVID. I think there were 120 countries there one year. And it's all science fiction type stuff, but really cool stuff. And it's, it's going to take that kind of thinking to solve this problem. It should be a crime or a crisis on how much land's being taken out of production all over the world for housing developments and strip malls. And man, they're going to want that land back here one of these days. But we also just did an interview about uh, some folks using some old reclaimed mine land to start Appalachian salmon, which they're basically oh, wow. growing, growing fish indoors yep. and using the water from the underground mines to actually grow those fish in and recirculating 3 million gallons of water a day uh, into clean water. Just another cool story that would be awesome for your network to pick up. Absolutely. We'd love to do a story on it. You mentioned these new and innovative ways of farming, but I've worked in the manufacturing industry and the idea about it is people still think of the manufacturing industry as dirty floors of people working on the factory floors, pushing widgets, but really it's really advanced in a very technical environment these days as farming it is as well. I just kind of curious in regards to that, is it important for RFD to help the next generation realize the technical side of farming and that farming is really cool? There is a future in farming? Is that important for our field? Yeah, that's what, uh, you know, my dad told me to go to town and get a job. And that's really, that's one of the inspirations for starting this network. We're, we're pushing all the time for kids to stay on the farm. You know, even if you're going to become a doctor or a lawyer or, or a, a teacher, go back to rural America. You know, that's where you need to be raised your family. Again, I think COVID woke a lot of people up to that fact. We do it all the time because of just what you mentioned. I, we even did a, a commercial and it's about 14 years old. It said, farming's cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, there are two kids. We did two kids talking. What's your dad do? Oh, my dad works the, with, uh, with the weather map. My dad works on big machinery. My dad, what's he do? He's a farmer. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's getting so high tech now. We do a lot of shows. We've got another one called Next Level Farming. It's the latest technology. John Deere just came out with a farmerless tractor. You can send the tractor out and it'll go out and do the field work without an operator in it. Very cool. It's going to get interesting. I wish I could live long enough to see what, what happens. I see you got some overalls on. I think. Were you doing some farming yeah. today? I just kind of messing around outside with my daughter and them. Yeah. No, I like to strap on the bibs and my brother still farms. He at the good cycle. We got a farm we farm together and he lets me call, crawl on the tractor every spring and fall and disc and run the grain wagon and, and some other things. And it, it's fun. I, I just, I love farming. Absolutely. Okay. Love farming. To that point, I have a few uh, rapid fire questions. If you're game for that. Sure. Go ahead. What's your favorite crop to grow? Uh, Corn. Of course, you got to say that. Yeah. <laughs> corn husker. Yeah. Well, that's another question I have. But first, what's your favorite program on RFT TV? Are you allowed to? Are you allowed to pick and choose? Um, probably the Rural Americans. Oh yeah, and I really like those stories. We've no. we've done one on uh, Richard Childress. Childress Racing, Johnny Morris, founder of Bass Pro. There's some great stories in rural America. Yeah. I like telling stories. And, and Christina, who produces that show, does a heck of a job. Do you have a favorite TV show in general, even if it's not on RFD TV? Yeah. Law and Order, the old Law and Orders. <laughs> old school. Nice. Yeah. I like uh, it. 
Do you have a favorite rodeo event? Well, the NFR, of course. That's everybody's favorite event. But I got the the NFRs in Las Vegas in December every year. It's really the national finals, the Super Bowl of rodeo, 10 days in Vegas. It's it's fun. But I got the chance last year to go to a lot of rodeos. Went to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Went to Reno, Nevada. Went to Pendleton, Oregon. Went to Salinas, California. Went to Dodge City, Kansas. Uh, Went to San Antonio, Houston, Fort Worth. Every rodeo is different. Every rodeo is unique. The rodeos are what brings communities together in rural America. There's 600 of them a year. Every one of them celebrates rodeo different, but they're all the nicest people. They're so good to us. You know, rodeo athletes are my favorite athletes. I hope that's one of your questions. And here's here's somebody that buys a truck, buys a horse, goes down the road. They don't make any money unless they come in first, second, third, or fourth in most rodeos. These, these athletes are all just tougher than nails, but they're just such good people. And it's still, you know, their, their words, their bond, and it's just great people to be around. I'm, I'm so proud to be associated with rodeo and farmers and ranchers. So you said your favorite athlete is from the rodeo, but since you're from Nebraska, are you a corn husker? Well, everybody in Nebraska is a corn husker, you know, <laughs> I'm not a fan fanatic. I don't live and die with it, but it's the only, you know, we don't have any professional football teams or anything. So, you know, you got to root on the Cornhuskers if you're from Nebraska. So is Frost on the hot seat? Yeah, he's on the front hot seat, but he shouldn't be. He's the best coach in the in the nation. He could have went anywhere four years ago. You know, he had offers at Tennessee and Florida and, and everywhere else. He turned choose to come back to his alma mater. What happened to Nebraska sports is the the powers that be in Lincoln screwed it up. They got out of the Big 12, got rid of our, our game with uh, Oklahoma after Thanksgiving Day. So it blew up our ability to recruit. And then all the states that we used to play, Iowa State, Kansas. Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Colorado, Texas, all these states that are out around. We got in the Big Ten now and our games are in Rutgers. (laughs) I hate hate to say it, but they got out of the media game. If you're a kid, why would you want to go to Nebraska now? If you want to play in the Big Ten, you'll go to Ohio State or Wisconsin or or Michigan. You're not going to come to Nebraska. I mean, it would have been unheard of for a Nebraska kid not to go to Nebraska if you're any good. And now these kids are going out of state because their parents, they can't go to any games. Let's say fly to Rutgers. I got another Nebraska question for you then. Since you're from Nebraska, what's one thing you would tell someone that they have to check out if they come to Nebraska? The Henry Dorley Zoo or the or the College Baseball World Series. Nice in Omaha. That's, yeah, that's probably the two best things that are going. I uh, have one last rapid fire. Is it biscuits or cornbread? Wow, I had cornbread tonight. But I had <laughs> had biscuits this morning. <laughs> I'd like a cornbread biscuit. Uh, cornbread biscuit. There you go. I don't think Neil and I growing up, we didn't have a meal where there wasn't cornbread on the table. Yeah. Yeah. I had some jalapeno cornbread tonight. My sister Ooh, made. Uh, yeah. What kind of advice would you give to a young person? and looking to get into the media world this day and age? Well, what we've done can't be done again. You know, to start a network, the whole thing's changed. But, you know, as you guys know, it's not expensive to get into the media game to do, you know, these podcasts and these other things. So it's wide open. I just, I don't understand how these things are going to pay for themselves. You know, how there's going to be enough advertising support or subscription support. Everybody was mad at cable because, you know, they're paying 50 bucks a month month and getting 200 channels and they weren't watching 190 of them and now they've got their 10 favorite channels
rentals and it's, you know, they're spending a hundred bucks a month. Yeah. I just, I don't get where it's going. Like I said earlier, I think my daughters are going to have to figure that one out. So the advice you would give is to stay away from it? No, no, that's kind of like my dad giving up. (laughs) Media is fun. Media is great. Media is a great life. You got to do, I think what we figured out and that's find your niche, find your passion and then do it better than anybody else. And I guess somehow there's going to be a economical way to make a living out of it. Of course, our our show focuses on Appalachia and all the great things going on in Appalachia. And one of the things that we always ask our guests is, is this question. I just want to know from your perspective, the first thing that comes to mind when somebody says the word Appalachia to you. You know, I've, I've traveled there, you know, quite a bit you know, over the years, my first thought is, is just great people, great country. We pride ourselves on both those things. Yeah. The, the neat thing about RFD TV is we do country music. We do polka music. We do bluegrass music. We do gospel music. There's still some, some great groups out there. I think we're going to start amping up our, our music uh, a little bit more. I, I was going to say, you know, you talk about the next generation. I think the best way to connect to the next generations through music. Yeah, I agree. One other question that we ask all our guests, just where do you call home? You know, we ground our podcast on place and perspective and home is very important and to us. And and just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? Yeah, Nebraska's home. This is where my family still lives. I got three sisters and a brother and and a bunch of cousins that live around here. I travel an awful lot. Uh, I'm gone most of the week, uh, but I can't wait to come home except lately. You know, it's just so darn cold here. (laughs) (laughs) our studios in the Fort Worth stockyards in Texas. I like going down there a lot. It's nice and warm down there. The Fort Worth stockyards, if you talk about tradition and the cowboy way of life, it's rocking and rolling. Uh, There's a new hotel that's, that just went up a bunch of shops. Everybody's got a retail store down there. Now, Lucchese, Ariat, Fort Wrangler. We've got, we opened, I opened the John Wayne museum down there with Ethan Wayne, John Wayne's youngest son. He was little Jake in the movie, big Jake. About half my time's in Fort Worth here lately. And we opened a bar, the Cowboy Channel Bar. Patrick, we greatly appreciate your time. We we thank you for being on the show. And more importantly, diving in really to that city and rural connection that needs to take place. Well, let's stay in touch, guys. And nice meeting you all. Thank you. Best of luck to you. Appreciate it. All right, man. Oh, my gosh, Will. Every time we interview somebody like this, I'm just really thankful that they're willing to talk to me and you. It's really kind of very much overwhelming when we get to have such great guests on and such people that have achieved so much. But I can't imagine Patrick sitting in rural Nebraska thinking about how can I get this message out throughout all of America? What does it take to do something like that? He just explained a little bit now in today's world it it is probably a bit easier than what he's accomplished but man he's very humble super impressive in what he's done and a perfect example of another story of hard work and determination not necessarily out of Appalachia but a media network designed for Appalachia I think another doer you know we like to talk about doers on this show we definitely had an idea And it wasn't just an idea. It was an idea based on a problem, a problem that he saw. He saw that people were wanting rural news. They wanted 
to hear about things that affected them. They wanted to hear about things in their neck of the woods and they weren't getting it from these urban, he called them conglomerates, but at the time it was probably just your regional news stations that just focus on the urban environment. He, he saw that problem and he tried to solve it. Yep, very impressive. Great to uh, hear all his interesting stories and very appreciative of his time tonight. Yeah, and I appreciate him talking about not only you know, how he started RFD TV, but what, what they focus on, you know, it's not just the roar networking, which is important, but it's also getting the word out to these urban environments and connecting with these urban environments to show that rural is important just as much as urban is important. And we need to communicate better between the two. Absolutely. I was just thinking about it, you know, tonight, I'm going to ask you like I always do. Do you have anything for us of, uh, of place tonight? Well, Neil, I do. I do have something of place tonight. My man. On tonight's of place segment, you know, when Mr. Gotch was talking, uh, he was talking about that urban and rural networking. It just made me think back to when I was younger. I was actually in high school. I don't know if you remember this. You were a little bit younger, but you may remember it. You know, when you're in high school, <coughs> I was in high school. It was, it was <coughs> a lot younger. <laughs> It was before the internet boom. You got your news from TV. You got your news from the radio. And, and so as a high schooler, you know, the radio was an important part of our lives growing up. And so there was this radio station when I was in high school. To be honest with you, I can't remember. It was either like 100.3 or 103.5. I don't know if you remember this, but I think it was actually on April Fool's Day, on April 1st. So at that at that point in time, where we're from, you only got so many radio stations. And we only got, growing up in the mountains, you only, you only got so many. And we only got one top 40 station. And so for someone in high school, that's important, that top 40 station, to hear about things that aren't necessarily happening in your neck of the woods. But that it's happening, you know, in the urban environments. You need that connection to understand beyond your borders what else is happening, whether it be music, whether it be news, whatever. And we woke up that morning on April 1st and they changed the top 40 station to country. Like it was a big deal. It was a big deal for uh, us high schoolers at the time because that was the only station that we could listen to top 40 music that wasn't country because all the other stations were country now all my stations are programmed to country but back (laughs) then i at least wanted one top 40 station and they changed it as he was talking i just remembered that it was like a big deal and i just wanted to mention that when he's talking about the rural and urban divide and how important it was to connect it to you know, it was important for us to hear that top 40 station, to hear that urban environment just as much as it is for the urban environment to hear about rural places. Uh, you know, that's what RFD TV tries to do is provide that rural programming in regions that don't have it. So those regions can understand about the rural agenda as much as they hear about the urban agenda. They're just trying to equal the playing field to provide the opportunity to understand from different perspectives. So I just wanted to mention that, you know, it was it was a tumultuous time in my high school, <laughs> my high school life, taking away that top 40 and, and then providing only country. Everyone thought it was a joke because it happened on April 1st, but it wasn't no joke. I remember it well. <laughs> yeah, but it just made that point uh, clear when he was talking about you know, the importance of having diversity within your programming 
uh, whether it be TV, whether it be radio, whether it be internet, whether it be the news you get, you know, you need to hear from all sides so you can learn from the other. Yep. So that's my of place tonight. It's just that little nostalgia that he brought back as, as he was talking that point in my life when <laughs> I was stripped of that diversity. Absolutely. Again, shout out to the folks at RFD TV for joining us tonight. Very much appreciated. I definitely appreciated the conversation and, and appreciated his time. I mean, like you said, it's impressive what he's done. But if you look at the programming, you know, it, it's it, it's important programming. Like we mentioned, we need that diversity. We need those rural voices within an urban environment just as much as the urban environment needs the rural voices. And All right, I guess we'll end it like I usually do. Till next time. Peace. getting lighter, the air's getting thin, now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long, sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs, now I'm back up where I belong, in the mountains again.